Recorded on Wednesday, January 22nd, 2014, in St. Louis, Missouri. This Agile Life, episode 34. So, I have a rational fear of spiders. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I am your host of This Agile Life, Amos King. And joining me today is my one and only co-host, Craig Buchek. Hello, Amos. How are you doing today, Craig? Pretty good. It was a bit of a rough day, but uh, feeling better now that uh, we're doing stuff we like instead of stuff we have to do. <laughs> I, I like everything that I have to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's not what you said earlier today. <laughs> All right. Well, um, today the reason why it's just Craig and I is because we have a special topic for everybody. Um, agile introspectives instead of retrospectives. Uh, Craig and I have um, been having some... Some discussions lately, and I'll, I'll let Craig take away to define what an introspective is, or what we've defined an introspective as. So, an introspective is basically just a one-person retrospective. Um, it's about one person. Um, there may be one more, more than one person involved in it, but it's about one person. And uh, this is something I kind of stumbled on. We kind of stumbled on uh, last week. Uh, we tried it and it was, uh, it was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, so, so how we, we stumbled on this is, um, I don't know how much you want me to share here, Craig. No, everything. Um, I mean, I, I blogged about it, so. Okay. And, and so did I, in case anybody wants to read those. Um, we had a, a, uh, team member, uh, come to me and and say that uh he thought that craig was um becoming a blocker on of progress on the team and uh he was very nice about it and kind of really wanted craig to know i think um so i I went to craig and said there's someone on the team who says that you're becoming a blocker and and uh craig i guess how did you feel whenever whenever that happened like what was your first reaction and then how did you come to you ended up asking me if I would do a one-person retrospective for right. you. Right, and, th- and that took a few minutes to get to that. Um, so, like anyone that receives criticism, I'm like, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, trying to move this team forward. What the heck are you talking about? Um, and, and, in fact, someone read my blog that's on the team and said, said a similar thing. But I thought for a few seconds, I'm like, well, if someone thinks I'm a problem, then that in itself is enough of a problem to... to need to be addressed i think that's really important like not enough of us um think that if someone else thinks that we're a problem we don't say well that's a problem that needs to be addressed we just write them off a lot of times and so you know the first thing was okay if they think that i'm a problem that's a problem but you know maybe they're right so uh, part of it was trying to get more details about you know what how how did they why did they think this i guess uh, what what in particular was i doing that made them think that um and then i, I kind of worked from the assumption that that he was right um and in some ways that doesn't matter if he was right or wrong 
Um, and it's probably better to work for the assumption that that he was right. Um, or, I, I mean, let, let's put this in shades of gray. He was right in some way, at, at the very least. Right, and, you know, as I, I think that if we sit back and and take criticism as in if they're right, we, we all have things that we can change, and we can get better at everything. So either way, hopefully, we come to an improvement. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what Agile has taught me is that, you know, there's always room for improvement. And a retrospective is, is to me, the biggest part of being Agile and being able to change and being able to improve. So I'm like, well, if it works for a team, let's see if it works work for an individual. And, and so... <laughs> I asked Amos, I'm like, well, let's do let's do a retrospective. Let's do a retrospective on this one topic about me. And, you know, I, I knew it wasn't going to be the easiest thing in the world because <laughs> um, it's focused on, on me and criticism about me, you know, specifically. Um, so, you know, that, that, that was a, a hit to the ego. But in some ways, let's take that hit to the ego really quickly and move on, right? And that's what you do in a retrospective a bit too sometimes yeah i mean it's it's different in a retrospective whenever um you might be called out on something and and it's not the whole retrospective is not focused on you <laughs> as opposed to right in this situation we were we were focused on on what can craig do to improve and, and that's for the team and that's the focus not what did craig do wrong what can craig do to improve Right, and, and that's 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 the same mentality you take into a retrospective, right? So I took that same perspective into this, um, and and it helped. Well, and with what we came out from, I wouldn't say that it was that you did anything wrong anyway, right? Like I don't think in any way it can be construed as as wrong. Uh, you were doing things that you thought were best for the team. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, basically. I, I guess I was doing what I thought was right, but not without really thinking about it. And and this made me think about it, you know, consciously think about it and, and how I could do better at, you know, those things, at, um, you know, basically team discussions and discussions in front of management. Um, so so the complaint was basically, you know, that that I was causing the manager to doubt um, I was putting up doubts in the manager's uh, mind about making these changes that we wanted to make. Um, and, and there are things I wanted to make. Maybe I wanted to be more cautious than, than some of the other team members. Um, but basically that was sort of being misconstrued or seen as um, a block to making progress. Well, and, and I will say that um, this is actually my wife tells me this all the time is that you have to assume that people have done the best that they can with the knowledge that they have at the time. And I know that you say that at retrospectives a lot too. Yeah, I believe it's called the uh, agile retrospective prime directive. Um, and so I put it at the top of every retrospective. I try to, if there's a new person, I'll actually read it. Uh, otherwise I actually just put it in the, the, the agenda for everyone to read to remind them. So my wife is in, Agile facilitator and doesn't even know it. Uh, apparently, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so going into this, uh, we had we had really little to go on. We had the other person saying that you're a blocker, and um, 
we that was about it. So what we did was we Craig and I sat down to do the retrospective, and uh, that person happened to be online, and so I was able to chat with that person in a chat room and keep that person anonymous while still talking to Craig and giving him feedback from that other person for a little bit. And we only did that for the first few minutes to try to get an understanding of what we were after. Yeah, plus actually I, I send, had you send him my takeaways as well, uh, which I ended up putting on my blog anyway, so they could have seen it. Anyone can see it. Um, and that to me that was a, a great thing. Um, for one, you know, part of my problem with, receiving criticism is, is confrontation. And so this was basically a non-confrontational way to get me that information that I needed to improve. Um, so, you know, my, my butthurt only lasted for, you know, a few seconds instead of, you know, a few minutes or a few hours or a few days or whatever. So, you know, my, my, my feelings weren't hurt probably as much as they would have been with direct confrontation. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm very appreciative to that person for criticizing me, uh, especially in the way that he did. Yeah, it, it, it's weird because, you know, we talk about people talking behind your back and wanting to approach you directly, and that's how they should do it. Um, but it wasn't that he came just to complain. He came to try to make a change, which is a little different than complaining. And sometimes... You know, it, it's it's a good way to approach it is, hey, maybe I shouldn't come and criticize them directly because they can't get as upset if, they, if they're if they afraid that you're going to get upset. So I'm actually curious about what their thoughts were about how, how that would improve, you know, or how that would improve the situation. Um, I don't think they expected me to have an introspective thing here, you know. Um, so uh, I wonder what their, what the thoughts going through their head were. I'd almost be interested to have them write a blog post too to have a third perspective. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I'm not sure I want to, you know, I, I, I appreciate that they were anonymous and um, uh, I, I think I want them to remain anonymous. Uh, you know, I guess if they don't want to, that's fine too. Um, but that, that would be an interesting third perspective on this. Yeah, it would. Uh, well, I will talk to that person and we'll see what happens. <laughs> That'd be funny. <clears throat> um, so, so from that point... We, we went on to trying to figure out how this whole introspective thing was going to work. Um, and, and we failed the first few tries. That, um, you know, we, we, we tried a few things, and you know, we had a little discussion, but we didn't move forward a whole lot um, the first half, I would say. And it lasted about a, an hour total, maybe. And the first half hour, we kind of stumbled around, and like, oh, well, you know, what do you think, and how's this, and... You know, um, the we, second did, we did we did discuss trying during that time period too, though. Like try, fail, try again, fail better, right? <laughs> uh, I think that might have been in the first half. I mean, we we basically took a look at things and just kind of talked things out. It was it was probably more just kind of free association, um, and and I came up with a few takeaways. Um, they weren't the most insightful though of of the what i came up with with takeaways and and uh almost actually action items or things to keep in mind you know um so but the second half and and we kind of you know we went on a few tangents um but then the second half was where things really uh turned around and uh so amos decided to play the y game um 
I call it the Y game. I think its more popular name is the Five Ys. Uh, I don't find that the best name because five is actually not the number. It's just it's probing. <laughs> um, basically, okay, something happened. Why did it happen? Um, it's basically root cause analysis. Now, um, now the th- the thing that I think is important about the Five Ys game, and a lot of people just say why over and over, is that. It doesn't mean that the question has to be why. It can be what. You're just really trying to probe deeper into what's going on. And don't ask the same question over and over. Change it up. If you're not getting an answer from the person, change the question. So it's interesting. The five whys actually comes into play a lot of times. Um, of course, you know, a five-year-old's going to say, you know, why is the sky blue? Well, because the oxygen and uh, light bins, why? You know, um, and, you know, that... Uh, some people don't like that, but um, it is a way for kids to learn, though, a lot, right? It's an excellent way for kids to learn. Um, so, but but like he says, don't don't just say why. Ask, um, so why did you do that? And then, well, I did that because of this. Well, why did you do that? Um, or what what made you think that was a good idea? Or you know, it, it, that that's the point is that it doesn't have to be why. It just um, has to be a question. Yeah. So another place uh, the Y game is used effectively is um, when you're um, doing a requirements analysis of, uh, um, you know, you're trying to figure out what the features to add to the project. Um, and so you go to the customer and they say, well, I want to be able to do this. And you're like, well, why do you want to be able to do that? And um, eventually, if you ask why enough, it should come up to one of the answers of basically... Uh, creating profit uh, or saving money. Um, there's a few other possibilities like meeting regulations or some external requirements, but uh, usually it's about making money or saving money. Um, so that's another effective use of the, the five wise game. All right, so uh, we kind of wondered who else was doing this out there. Uh, Craig, I think you said that you had heard of people doing like an entire room full of uh, like the whole team and one person being the focus? Yeah, I unfortunately I don't remember where I heard that. Um, so basically they do sort of a, uh, I don't know if they call it a peer review or a, a peer retrospective or a, a maybe a 360 degree review, something like that. Um, but, that, that you know, this was hard to decide to do, but I can't imagine doing it in front of, you know, the whole team. Um, and and I, I wish I remembered who it was. And how, so we could look up how they do it. Um, I mean, one of the problems is we don't even really know the name for this. Uh, we coined the term introspective. Um, and that's mainly because, you know, retrospective looks back on the past period, past iteration, or however however long. And to me, this was looking inward, you know, uh, me, about me. Um, it involved, you know, feelings and, and emotions and self-analysis. So I thought introspective was a good name for it, but... Uh, if other people are doing it, they may have a different name, and I just don't know how to search for that or find that. Um, but, you know, when I, when I started doing it, I'm like, oh, no one's ever done this before. And then, you know, a little while later, I'm like, oh, I have heard of something like this. Well, I don't really care what it's called. I know that I, I felt like it worked for us. And, and the weird thing was is that I also like as facilitating it got a lot out of it and and did a lot of inward thought in like are 
are these things going on with me? Am I contributing to this? How can I um, better serve Craig as a team member uh, in in all of these things that we were we were discussing? That, that's and interesting. We were we were you know trying to prove the team and ourselves at the same time. Oh, Craig, I can hear your cat purr. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not the best thing for a, a, a podcast. <laughs> oh, cats are fun anywhere. Uh-huh. Uh, what it was my thing? I love cats. I've just never been able to finish a whole one. Mm. That may not be a good joke for a programming podcast. Um, <laughs> People uh, eating tasty animals. <laughs> nice. So, I, I, do you have anything else to say about introspectives? as themselves or should we move on to kind of what the introspective ended up being about so yeah i got a a few other things um one is you know what what did we get out of it or um basically i'd recommend that people try this um we we both like you said we both got a lot out of it um a lot of times at a retrospective, at the end of the retrospective, you just feel good about yourself and the team and, and life in general, right? Um, this had that same feeling, uh, a sense of accomplishment, um, a sense of making things better. And, and you know, hey, life is going to be better in the future because we've, we've made these changes and, and positive changes. So it, it, it makes you feel good uh, at the end of it. Um, I felt so good about this that, like an hour after it, I called you to say, "Hey, this was awesome." That was that <laughs> we, was awesome. And then we were like, "We need to blog about it over the weekend." And then so we both did, and you know, the the write ups were cool. And now we got to do a podcast about it, and yeah, now we we need to tell the world this was pretty awesome. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. Yeah, you you should do it too. Uh, it's, so. Um, so grab another person on your team. I don't think that you need to wait for there to be a problem or someone to complain about someone else. I think uh, just, I mean, maybe that helps start the conversation, but maybe just grab someone else on your team that you trust uh, really well and say, hey, can we come talk about me? <laughs> I think it helps a lot to have a, a topic, though, to get started. I, I can't imagine not having a topic on your first one. Um, but, but maybe that, you know, give the, the, your trusted advisor some time to think about, you know, maybe where you could talk about improving. Um, have maybe something you could, specific maybe you could try uh, just some word games, some other retrospective games to uh, get down to, to something that you could talk about. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, but... I think the key to get started is trust. Um, if you ever had a retrospective with a new team, you, you don't have that level of trust yet, it's it's harder. But it does build that level of trust. I, I can't imagine starting this without someone I trust. Um, uh, for one thing, you know, retrospectives kind of are like therapy, right? And, and you wouldn't want to have a therapist you didn't trust. Um, so... If you're going to do it, you know, start with that one trusted person on your team or outside your team or whatever. Um, that, that's why I can't imagine the, the doing it in front of your whole team. I, I, I guess I've had teams where most of the, the team I had that level of trust, but I, I can't see it being forced upon me. I don't see enjoying that. Um, but, but doing it voluntarily and finding those people I trust, or at least one person, um, I, I got a lot out of it. Yeah, and, and 
I think I've done things like this in the past with just a piece of paper. I like I've written down little surveys uh, and said, "Hey, team, could I have? Can everybody fill this out and just to let me know how I'm doing?" And it's kind of the same thing, but it's different whenever you have to talk about yourself. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think that's a lot of the important part of what we got out of the talk was talking about you know, ourself. Yep. Um, so I think we, that leads us into our sep- second well, topic. Wait, wait. I was just thinking, you know, the, the survey thing, maybe that's a good way to start this is send out the survey and ask everybody to give it to that trusted guy. Hmm. And then let, and then let that person then build a re- a little introspective for you. That, that, that might work. Um, or, or, you know, maybe the send out something to everyone. Hey, if you could change one thing about one person on your team, what would it be? Or one person about each person on your team. That might be a good start. That'd be cool. All right. So topic two, I'll let you, you run with that. All right. So topic two is, is fear. Um, so the, the, the Y game basically led to a fear of mine. Um, and you know, we all have fears. A lot of times we don't even recognize them. So, um, specifically what we came up with was me having a fear of failure. Um, and so I think, I think everyone has a fear of failure. (laughs) Um, but I think I thought I was kind of fearless actually. Um, you know, I like to push ahead pretty quickly. Um, I'm, Maybe a little more conservative than Amos. Amos is definitely seems fearless. I'm afraid to not change. <laughs> <laughs> like if I don't change now, then then tomorrow I won't be better than today. You, you have a fear of stagnating, huh? Yes. Um. So, uh, I'll ask you a question then. Is that fear ever harmful? Um. I. I I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, Stop having an introspective on the air with me. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It, it probably is. I mean, I'm trying to think back of at, at any point in time where I felt like it was harmful, but I think that there are just so many people around that um, are willing to say, no, we can't change that, that no matter how hard I push forward, we never move fast enough for me to feel like I'm going to... F- I'm, it's bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if I was, if I was allowed to just go full steam ahead, possibly, but I've never, I haven't been allowed to do that very often, uh, unless I've been completely in control. Um, and then even then I wasn't completely in control. I mean, you worked with me. I, I still, right. I leave, I leave as much as I can up to everybody else, but I get really frustrated if we're not making change and i i think so yeah (laughs) in in that way my frustration with other people uh is increased because like whenever whenever craig doesn't want to make a change i'm pissed off that craig doesn't want to make a change because why wouldn't we want to change why wouldn't we want to figure out how to get better and and craig might just be being a little more thoughtful in how we should move forward (laughs) Yeah, I think maybe my thought is that maybe, you know, the pendulum's too far the other direction um, if you're too fearless. 
you know fear in the real world is you know productive sometimes like it keeps you from being eaten by the lion um (laughs) (laughs) but uh i think in our everyday life i think fear usually is a problem though right um it's usually more of a problem because we're not out in the savannah trying to avoid lions and tigers and bears oh my (laughs) (laughs) um so I think I think fear holds us back more than it protects us in in the business world, at least um, in the modern world. Um, so my my fear was, as I said, a, a fear of failing. Um, and, and we 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 dug into why why is that? Well, uh, honestly, I I haven't failed a lot, and and so Amos asked me, well, why why haven't you failed very much? And and the weird thing is, I. I kind of believe in failure-based learning. Like, when you fail, you're going to learn a lesson better than if, you know, someone told you to do something. That was the scariest thing you said to me in the whole conversation was I haven't failed a lot. <laughs> um, it's because, because I was like, wow, like, how much have you... Ha- I, I felt this way, and I, I don't know how found it is, but it was like, how much is, have you not done because you haven't failed? Like, what could you have done if you had... Um, well, usually I learn from other people's failures really, really well. I, I think um, this is a bit of a tangent, but you know, I, I'm above average intelligence, right? And I think almost ninety percent of that is just learning from others' failures than, than anything else. Um, just having a higher ability to, to do that, just. Is such a positive game. There are so many intelligent people. There are so many intelligent people in our career field that that don't do True. that very well. And True. Uh, one one thing that I've been thinking about lately is that aha moment. Um, the it, I, I heard uh, Penn Gillette talking the other day on a podcast, and he said something about you know magic that you you see on TV, magic tricks. The reason why. Um, people don't find out how to do something and then just go share how it's done with the world is because most of the time how it's done is, is not this like grand aha moment. It's not exciting. So you're like, Oh, and it kind of ruins it for you and you move on. (laughs) And I think, I think a lot of things that we learn about software design and working as a team and it, it, the reason why we relearn it and relearn it and we kind of don't believe is because that aha moment when we figured out is not all that exciting. Hmm. You know, like like single responsibility principle. Oh, yeah. That, that makes, sense. makes sense. <laughs> like, like, it's not like, oh, I have, I have this mirror and this smoke. It's like I got a piece of tape on the back of the soda can when I do this <laughs> magic trick. Oh, well, <laughs> boring. You know, so that's so. probably why we keep forgetting things and relearning things, right? I mean, I knew about the single responsibility principle probably in college. You know, we learned, uh, and college was a long time ago for me. You know, uh, are you, you know, like 108 or early early 90s for me? You know, so <laughs> you know we learned object oriented programming and we learned a lot of the principles that that still in play are in play today. And you know, you forget them, um, and then you kind of relearn them. Um, but back to the failure part, um, I think when I learn, I want to know why. Why do we do it this way and not the other way? And the 
answer is basically usually because you're going to fail if you do it the other way. And and so instead of failing, I actually look at what the failure mode is versus the success mode. Um, so when I say that I haven't failed much, it's more because I don't have to do the failure myself. I just have to see what failure looks like. Um, so, so what if nobody else has failed in that way? Well, then, then I'm going to learn by failing. You know, I'm going to learn by <laughs> doing in that case instead of learn, you know, by reading or, or having someone show me. And and different people learn in different ways. You know, there's the, uh, the visual learners, and then there's the the audio learners that that you know uh, a lecture works for them. And then there's the the people that learn best when they read. And then there's people that learn best when they do. Um, I'm pretty good at most of those, uh, but probably best at reading. And reading gives me that in-depth, uh, well, what what happens when you do this and what happens when you do that. So you can see the failure mode and the success mode. Um, but if, but you always, if you always look for someone else to fail before you and to learn from their failure, how do you innovate and, and change like in ways that no one else has done before? Well, you, you're going to have to fail in order to innovate. Um, and you're going to have to fail when you can't find the answers. Like, you know, like we can't find anyone else that is doing this this agile practice of introspectives because we, we, we don't know how to find it. Um, so we kind of have to <laughs> make our own way. Um, you know, we, we struggled with it the first half hour and it's the, then we found something that worked. And if we do it again, we'll probably struggle some more. Right. We'll, hopefully we'll, we get better at it. We'll, we'll try different things, right? Um, right. And, and that's... So the, the interesting thing about me and failure is I've been talking for a while about what I call failure-based learning. And, you know, when you learn, like I said before, when you fail, you're going to learn a big lesson and you're going to have a harder time forgetting that lesson. So I kind of wish there was a way to force failures in sort of a safe environment so that that people learn better. Um, So, like, if you're teaching someone the single responsibility principle, show them a case where you're not using SRP and and show them why show them take them down the path until it it breaks something and it and things don't work and then show them SRP and say well this is the the better path um because you you just failed doing the other thing now let's do it the right way um i think that's hard to even find a way to teach that way um but i think it would be more effective than most of the ways we're teaching today I, and I think most uh, technical book authors or people who do um, videos, uh, what do they call that? Um, like like Ruby Tapas. Tutorials. Yeah. Uh, anytime you're doing those, that's the hardest part, is to come up with an example that is simple enough that you can do it within the class, uh, but not so simple that it doesn't mean a whole lot. Because people will pick it apart and be like, well, that's not realistic. Well, that's true, but it is supposed to show an ex- it's just supposed to show you something. Don't pick apart the other part of it. <laughs> um, and so, so coming up with those examples where you can show somebody like single responsibility principle and the failure behind it and, and not seem meaningless is, is rather difficult. To wrap up the, the fear topic, 
we all have fears. Um, and we need to overcome those fears in a lot of cases to, to improve the way we do things. So um, look into those fears and, and address them. Now let's be as cliche as possible. Oh, hang on. I have a quick story. Um, <laughs> I, I have a fear of spiders. Um, so in college, I decided I to... Thought, wait, I thought you said you were smart. What? <laughs> Lots of smart people have a fear of spiders or snakes. I, I don't mind snakes unless they're, you know, trying to bite my face or something. Um, but I'll handle a snake, no problem. Um, so I decided to get over my fear of spiders. So uh, I was in college and I, I bought a tarantula, thinking that, you know, if I have a tarantula around, maybe I'll get to, you know, let, let the tarantula walk on my arm and stuff. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so. So, you know, we put him in a terrarium, and then we put him in a a, 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 a fish tank, you know, and some sand on the bottom, and and uh, so, and you got to feed him crickets and or a pinky mouse, and um, so the the spiders they don't they don't drink very well. Um, you can't just put like a cup of water, and they don't they're not very oh, good at drinking oh, that way. I thought you were saying since you were in college, you were trying to load him up with uh, vodka or something. No, no, so. So the best way for them to drink is to put some water in a sponge and put that in his his, his uh, terrarium or whatever. And uh, so I did that, and, and I came up with the worst case of hives that, that the school doctor had ever seen. <laughs> and so, you know, I do some research, and, and it turns out that he's got what are called articulating hairs. They're these little hairs on his body that he can shoot out, actually, when he gets scared, when he's, when he's fearful. Um, and, and they got some toxin in them. And about one or two percent of people are um, extra allergic to that toxin. Um, so the the uh, so fear uh, verified is what you're telling so, me. So the is I don't have an irrational fear of spiders anymore. I have a rational fear of spiders. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. I thought you were gonna say so. I got him out to let him crawl on my arm uh, in, in order to try to get over my fear, and then I just smashed him. <laughs> oh, I, I think he would bite you if you smashed him. He's, it's, the guy was pretty big. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that is that's. I think that's a fantastic way to uh, end this, and and we might have ended up with a show title there. Um, my my. My fear is rational. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this week's hottest picks. Greg, you go first. Uh, so my pick uh, tonight is homebrew. Uh, if you're using a Mac and you're not using homebrew, then I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, basically, it's a way to get command line apps uh, installed. Um, it's basically a, uh, a dependency manager um, for command line apps, uh, an installer. If you're using something like Linux, it's it's basically like apt-get uh, or yum or something like that. Um, also, uh, something I just recently learned about is called Homebrew Cask. And it's basically for the, the same thing, but adds binaries. Um, so you install this sort of Homebrew plugin, and then you can install binaries, things like Chrome or Firefox. Um, so basically, um, I haven't gone too far with this yet, but... You know, when I get a new Mac, I'll install, you know, Firefox and then Chrome and then all these things that you have to download the installers for. And I've, I've started scripting, you know, wget to get the latest version. But uh, this will allow me not to have to do all that work. I'll just do brew install 
Chrome and, and it'll install it for me. That's and then probably. you can script that. Yeah, exactly. So basically I'll have almost, you know, every application on my system just just scripted. So I get a new system, I, I run the script and, you know, I, I come back an hour later and everything's installed. So that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. That's my pick. All right, and I'm a big fan of Homebrew. Uh, so, and I've I've heard about Homebrewcast, but haven't really looked into it. So now I don't have to. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick an old. Uh, well, I, maybe it's not that old. It's a book that I read a while back, but uh, I just saw it pop up today. It is Pragmatic Thinking and Learning by Andy Hunt? It's uh, from the Pragmatic Studio. Pragmatic bookshelf uh studios is their teaching place um and it's just it's it's a lot about uh the dreyfus model and how the brain works and just learning so to so talk about fear uh i don't remember it's been too long since i read it maybe i should read it again um but that's it that's that's my only pick and i i think that uh it's a good one we all need to learn and grow so let's learn how to learn better Okay, that's all we have time for today. I'd like to thank my co-host, Craig, for joining me to talk about Agile Introspectives and sharing his experience with us today. How can people find out more about you, Craig? Uh, on Twitter, I am Craig Buchak, C-R-A-I-G-B-U-C-H-E-K. Um, on GitHub, I'm Booch, B-O-O-C-H. And I've started blogging at blog.boochtech, B-O-O-C-H-T-E-K.com. Sounds fantastic. And you can go there and read about Craig's experiences in introspective. Yay. And then you can hop on over to my blog from a link on Craig's blog. Hopefully he linked to it. Uh, my ug- ugly, ugly blog, dirtyinformation.com. Or you can find me on GitHub or uh, Twitter at adcron, A-D-K-R-O-N. Be sure to check out our website, thisagilelife.com, to find show notes for this podcast. And thanks for listening. Keep living this Agile life. This Agile life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.